Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. To uh, gathering volunteers and resources and preparing uh, for kids camp. She's been doing it for a while and so Miss Laura's in the back. Let's just show her our appreciation. <laughs> Laura, you got a woohoo from down here. All right. All right. Uh, Exodus chapter 2 verse 23. Exodus chapter 2 verse 23. And as you're turning there, I just want to tell you personally how thankful I am for Jackson. Um, being here with us today. I'm thankful for his heart. Uh, he just had a few moments to share his heart. I hope that you felt his heart as he shared with our committee um, and our, even our personnel committee on, in one of the meetings. He just talked about all the lies that, that students were facing in this day and time and how he felt like it was his job, his responsibility, his calling to begin to combat those lies with truth. And I just said, that's, that's my dude right there. Uh, his his coach, we called his coach, his football coach, I think uh, Papa Ham made that phone call, and the football coach said, uh, he loves telling people about Jesus. I said, that's all right, that's all right, we like that. Um, he said uh, he does uh, a couple Bible studies in the dorm where he was the resident assistant, and so he just was looking for opportunities to share Jesus with people. And we are thankful for that heart, and, and I pray that, uh, I, I believe that God has led us to this moment, led us to this man, and I'm excited. I sure am. So here's, here's uh, what I want um, to communicate today in a shorter time than normal, okay? Uh, I know that's hard to believe. All right, I want to communicate two truths from this passage. I want to communicate first that we are, I am, you are sought out sought after you are jesus is seeking to seek and save that which is lost he has sought you out and secondly we are sought out to be sent out sought out to be sent out and so i want to walk through this passage and i want to just recap what god is saying to us and then i want to from this text make a couple of those points and then we'll close so sought out and sent out. Look at verse 23. Chapter 2, verse 23 says, During those many, year, many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant and Ab with, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Here's what I want you to understand from that passage that People, God's people, began to cry out, and God, from heaven, heard their cry. Can I just say that's good news for you and me? It's good news for you and me. Here's what we're not told. We're not told in this passage whether these people, God's people, are crying out to one of the gods 
of Egypt, or if they're crying out to the one true living God, Yahweh, all it says is their cries, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard. God heard. One of the most incredible truths of the scriptures is that God hears the feeble prayers of sinful man and he responds to them. What a privilege that is that the king of glory, the God of the universe, the one who created everything, who is all powerful and knows everything and upholds the universe by the word of his power, listens to you. Whoa. What a prayer. What a thought. He heard their groaning, and then it says he remembered his covenant. What he doesn't say is that he looked down on them, he saw how good they were, but he remembered his promise. And we believe that God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God, and he is faithful even when we're faithless. He remembered his covenant. It says he saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God is not ignorant of suffering or pain, nor is he deaf to the cries of his people. I don't know what you're going through right now. But you might be like the Israelites crying out, are you there? Is anybody out there? Do you hear me? God does. He knows. He sees. He hears. And he has a plan to deliver you. So the cries and the groans of an enslaved people we see in this passage rose to heaven, came to Yahweh's ears, and as a father could not let his children's cries go uh, unanswered, so Yahweh cannot leave his people without rescue. And so what we see, we get a picture of heaven for a moment. We get a picture of heaven, and we get a picture of Egypt. So we, we hear what's going on in, in God's, from God's perspective as he looks upon the people in Egypt. And then we turn a corner. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So what we see in verse 1 is that Moses is now a shepherd in western Saudi Arabia. And on this shepherding adventure, he travels around the, the northern part of the Gulf of Aqaba in, back into the Sinai Peninsula, there just south of what we know as modern-day Israel. And he travels there, and now he's got another identity. I mean, talk about an identity crisis. A am I a Hebrew? Am I an Egyptian? Am I the son of a slave or am I the son of Pharaoh? Uh, I, I murder somebody, I run away, and now I'm a Midianite. And not only am I married to a Midianite, but I'm a shepherd of a Midianite flock, right? Talk about an identity cross, crisis he's going through. He comes to the Horeb, the mountain of God. Now what we know about this area is Horeb is actually an area in this time and... Sinai is the mountain in Horeb. And Sinai, that, many people believe that that word Sinai comes from the, the Hebrew word sinna. Sinna. And we're going to see that in just a moment because the fire was in what kind of plant? A bush. And 
specifically, that bush is a thorny bush, and it's called Sinna. And so many commentators believe that this area, this mountain region, uh, this mountain specifically was named Sinai because of the thorny bushes in the area. Now look at verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now, this idea of the angel of the Lord. We know anytime we see angel in the Bible, that is one of God's representatives. Anytime we see angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, this is God himself. How do we know that? Because if you look at verse 4, uh, if you look at verse 4, it says, when the Lord saw, that's the word Yahweh, the Lord, that's the, the, the uh, covenant name of God. When Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him. So this angel of the Lord is himself Yahweh and God. This is who he is. How else do we know that this is God? Because when, when Moses comes near, what does the voice from the bush say? Take off your shoes, Moses. You're on what? Holy ground. Now, if it was just a regular angel, he's not making the ground holy. So this is more than an angel. This is Yahweh, and he reveals himself in a flame of fire. And, and, and here in this passage, God reveals himself that way. And we see that as a theme throughout the Old Testament carried on to the New. That Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, reminds us that our God is a consuming fire. And how did God lead the Israelites through the wilderness? A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He reveals himself this way. This fire, this flame of fire is a symbol of God's purity, his ferocity. It's a, a consuming fire. And this flaming fire on a holy mountain is the place where it seems like in this moment heaven and earth are meeting. That God takes a form that Moses can behold we just saying we shall behold him, that Moses can behold and see, yet he can't necessarily look upon because we see in a minute he hides his face. It's heaven and earth coming together. And then it says he's out of the, this bush, out of this bush, and that word sinna, a thorny bush, and possibly, maybe, foreshadowing another thorny item used where God came to earth to accomplish redemption. Verse 3 says, I will turn aside to see. Now Moses is just like any other man. Fire, right? He sees this fire burning on a hill. He's drawn to it. Men are like bugs. We're drawn to light, right? He, I will turn aside to see. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Can I just tell you, that's my prayer for you. Is that when God spends his time seeking you out, and he calls upon your name, that we would not answer him with a list of excuses, but here I am, Lord. Here I am. And God introduces himself to Moses in verse 5. Do not come near. Take off the sandals, or take the sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. It's holy ground. Moses, I, I need you to know, you are a shepherd. Shepherds were not known to be clean. And the filth 
of your profession is not welcome here on the mountain of God in the presence of my holiness. I'm completely other than you. We, we can't cohabitate your sinfulness, your filth, your shepherd status, and my holiness can't be in conjunction or in close proximity to another, so you better take off your shoes, Moses. He says, I'm holy. And then he introduces himself, verse 6, I'm the God of your father. Moses, I'm, I'm your dad's God. And I'm also the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is who I am. I, in other words, Moses, I'm the covenant God of the covenant people, Israel. And you belong to me. Verse 7. He continues, again, very, I mean, almost reminiscent of chapter 2, verse 23 and following. He says, verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. What we see is not only am I your God, not only am I holy, but I am compassionate. I am a compassionate God. Unlike the compassion that you've ever experienced, I know Pharaoh's daughter showed you pity and compassion, but let me tell you, my compassion engulfs her compassion. I'm far more compassionate than you could ever understand. Moses, she showed pity on one person, but I want to show pity and compassion on a nation, a people. He is compassionate, but not only is he compassionate, he's powerful. He's powerful, and God is compassionate and powerful, and he has a plan to deliver his people. I'm going to come down and deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up into a good land. Moses, I've got a plan to show my holiness and my compassion and my power to deliver. Verse 10, And Moses, come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses, the way I want to accomplish my plan is by sending you. All right, here's two things. You're sought out. We are sought out. So the first question that we've been answering in the first few chapters of the book of Exodus is, who am I? Who am I? I want you to understand, you are sought out. God has come for you. He is on your pursuit. He is hot on your tail. He is coming for you in love to seek you and to find you. Here's how I know that. Just look it back. Let's think about what's happened in chapters 1 and 2. God placed Moses' family in Egypt, gave Moses life when so many were dying, allowed him to survive that genocide, uniquely designed and wired him, and placed Moses in the palace of Pharaoh to see and feel the hurt of his own people. God gave to Moses this sense of justice, allowed him to use it incorrectly. Moses fled from Egypt to Saudi Arabia, spent 40 years shepherding flocks until one day he coincidentally happens upon a mountain where there is a bush 
uh, on fire, yet not being consumed. And there on the mountain he meets with God. What we see is God so ordaining all of these transitions in his life to lead Moses to this exact moment on the mountain. Some would say, some would ask the question, well, did God do this? Or did Moses' choices lead him this way? The biblical answer is yes. For all of you who want to pick a side, I'm sorry. Uh, Biblical answer is yes. And that is one of the greatest mysteries of all the Bible is the tension between God's sovereign control and man's ability to choose. It's a tension. You've probably tried to explain that at some point in time and found yourself at the end of it going, you know, I don't actually understand it exactly. That's how I feel. It is that tension. Now, many people, we try to pit them one against another. No, it's only God's sovereignty. No, it's only man's ability to choose. And, and if I can just say, if I'm forcing you to choose one, when the Bible doesn't force you to choose one, that's where, look at the screen, danger and folly come when you choose between two truths that are clearly expressed in Scripture. Which one does the Scripture talk about? Both. So which one is it? Yes. Don't choose between two things that Scripture clearly reveals. The Scripture lives in the tension. God did this, yes. How did He do that? By me choosing. Huh? Exactly. That's what you said. I said it. Yes. And so here's what we see in the passage. Behind all the decisions of Pharaoh or Moses' mom or Pharaoh's daughter or Moses or Jethro or whoever else, behind their decisions, behind their sin, behind their upbringing, behind their pain, behind the transitions, God is at work. Aren't you thankful for that? Let me just tell you, you can't sin your way out of God's sovereignty. God will find a way to use your sin to accomplish His good will and pleasure. Man, that's good. I, I, there's, the, there's the saying that really comforts me. When God call, uh, set a calling upon my life as a pastor, He factored in my stupidity. Glory to God. When He looked down on you and me and He saw your life, the calling that He placed on you, He factored in our poor decisions. God sovereignly uses all these things to seek out Moses and to draw Moses to himself. Moses, the shepherd who is seeking sheep, is now sought out by the good shepherd, and so are you. So are you. The Bible clearly reveals that mankind is wicked, and that left to ourselves, we would not seek God. In fact, Paul quotes the psalmist in Romans chapter 3, and he quotes Psalm chapter 14. He says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. So here's what I want you to understand today. God sought you out. God sought you out. All we, uh, Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Turn, each one of us have turned aside, everyone to his own way. But God, in his great love, like a shepherd seeking a lost sheep, he leaves the 99 in the wilderness. He seeks the one we are sought out. And if we've ever sought after God, it was because God first sought us. If we've ever loved God, it's because God 
first loved us. Look at John, 1 John chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. Now, here's what I want to communicate. Transitions and pain and sin in our lives are not accidental, nor are they coincidental. I don't think the scripture teaches the idea of coincidence. But they are intentional opportunities for God to draw us into his heart. To forgive us of our sin. To redeem our past. To give us new identities in Christ. And to refine our character so that we look more like Jesus and we love more like Jesus than ever before. Some of you might feel like you're in a season of transition, a season of pain, a season of difficulty. And I want you to know that in the middle of all that, God is seeking you out. He is drawing you in. And if you let him, the tribulations that we experience have two effects. They will either push us and sever us from God's embrace, or they will draw us right into the very heart of the Father. Which one will it be for you? That's a choice that we have to make. I'm thankful that God's not just the God of church services. I saw a Facebook post this week that reminded us that God's not just the, the God of church services and nice uh, church buildings and nice worship times. and He's not just the God of seminaries, but He's also the, the God who is there present when you're lying uh, spread out on the bathroom floor, crying out. He's the God of that moment, too. I don't know about you, but you've probably heard the phrase, hindsight is what? 2020. I can look back at my life, and I can see God's fingerprints all over it. I didn't see it in the middle of it. But now that I've come through it, I see him all over my life. You mean in the good moments? No. Specifically, I mean in the bad ones. Specifically, I mean in the difficult transitions of my life. I see his handprints, his, his handiwork there. And like a master conductor, I see God orchestrating all of those events in my life, good and bad, to lead me to Jesus. He moved me from Montgomery, Alabama to Atlanta, Georgia to Highlands, North Carolina to meet Jesus. Only God can do that. Only God can use broken marriages. Only God can use places of depression and anxiety. Only God can use broken bones and failed dreams. Only God can use those things to lead somebody to Jesus. And he did that in my life. And then once I came to Jesus, he leads me back to the mountain time and time again through transitions and difficulties and pain. He leads me back to the mountain to know Jesus more intimately and to become more like him. So here's, God sought you out. He made the first move. Isn't that humbling? It's humbling to me that God sought me first. 
God made the first move toward Abraham, toward Moses, toward Israel, and toward you and me through Jesus. And if we seek him, it's because he first sought us. And this morning, here's what I want you to understand. If God is stirring in your heart, if he's doing something in you this morning, don't reject it, don't ignore it, don't put it off till tomorrow. If God is stirring in your heart, give yourself to him, move toward him, go up the mountain, turn aside to the burning bush. Are you going through transitions and pains and difficulties? Run back to the mountain. God is seeking you and drawing you to himself. He's seeking you out. Why? Because you are dearly loved. You belong to him. Listen to and obey the voice of God. God loves you so much that he will lead you through pain and sin and difficulty and transition to capture your attention and your heart. He left heaven to come to earth as the good shepherd to seek out lost sheep like you and me. You're created by God, you're loved by God, and you are sought out by God. Have I made my point? You are sought out. And that's good news. Secondly, you are sought out to be sent out. Sought out to be sent out. God's purpose is not simply to work in us, but God works in us that he might work through us. Now, our story here takes a really interesting turn. Can you imagine the conversation that God's having with Moses on the mountain? And and how Moses is going along with it, God, God looks at him, he says, yes, Moses, I've, I've seen their affliction. And, and Moses is going, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard their cries going, uh-huh, finally, yes, I know their sufferings, okay, yeah, uh-huh, what's next? And I've come down to deliver them, can you just, yes, yes, finally, and into the promised land, Woo! I've been waiting for that since you promised that to Abraham, the promised land. I can't wait. And then he says in verse 10, Moses, I'm going to send you. And he goes, uh, excuse me, sir. What um, would you say? I need to get my hearing checked because I thought you said that you were going to send me back to Egypt. That's what I said. Moses, I'm going to send you. All right. God, I don't know if you saw it, but I ran away from Egypt. They don't like me there. Yeah, Moses, I'm going I'm to send you back to the place I rescued you from. But this time you will be a tool of my redemption. I'm going to send you back into the world. You are no longer of the world, but I'm going to send you back into the world that you might help lead people out of the world to the mountain of God. You see it? You're sought out to be sent out. And we see in this passage that God sought Moses out to send Moses. And here's what I want you to see. Yahweh appointed a human ministry to affect divine salvation. Yahweh appointed a human ministry to affect divine salvation. God could have done it himself, couldn't he? All right, Moses, you sit back and watch. I'm going to go in and I'm going to wear everybody out in Egypt. Just watch. You want to go? All right, let's go. But he didn't. Moses, I'm going to send you. God allowed Moses to see the world 
there on the mountain. He allowed him to see the world, specifically the plight of Israel as he sees it, and then asked Moses to join him in the work. From the beginning of human history, God's people have always been sent people. God's people have always been sent people. Noah was sent. Abraham was sent. Jacob, Joseph were sent. Moses was sent. Jonah was sent. Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles are the sent ones. The church is sent. God always intended that his people would be image bearers and ambassadors of a heavenly king and his kingdom. We have been invited to spend our lives, listen to me church family, I'm pleading with you to spend our lives laboring for that which cannot be destroyed. And God didn't choose Moses because he had it all together. Just read the rest of chapter 3, read chapter 4, excuse after excuse after excuse, argument after argument, and Moses didn't win the argument. He's trying to make his point, but God said, Moses, I didn't call you because you have it all together. I called you because I'm going with you. I'll go with you and I'll equip you. Moses is full of excuses and brokenness. He doesn't want to go, but God uses the unlikely to do the incredible so that he gets all the glory. That's our story. That's what I hope and pray for this week. That God, in Seneca Baptist, in Kids Camp Week, that he uses the unlikely, that's us, to do the incredible, the unbelievable, so that he alone can get the glory for it. That's my prayer. That's why we exist. We exist to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever dare to ask or dream or imagine because of the power working in us for His glory. And so whether we're shepherds or prophets or fishermen or doctors or just ordinary people, God's intention is that we live sent out into the world. And one of the downfalls of the church today is that we're trying to build a come-and-see culture instead of to be a go-and-tell people. We're trying to build big buildings. We're trying to build big programs. Just come and hang out. And God said, no, I don't want people to come to you. I want you to go to them. And we, like Moses, have to regain the compassionate heart of God for those spiritually enslaved to sin. I want you to imagine what happened from the time Moses left Israel or Egypt. He was broken for the plight of his people. Forty years of being in the wilderness, I bet his heart got hard a little bit. He was not as soft toward their plight any longer. But there on the mountain, when God captivated Moses' attention, he captivated his heart, and I bet that God there on the mountain regained that heart of justice and compassion in Moses for the days ahead. And maybe like Moses, we use our I can'ts, and we let them keep us from doing God's will, and so therefore we've neglected our call and given it to those who are gifted or to those who are paid like the pastor, the missionary, but God said to the church, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's not based on our I can'ts. Do you have some I can'ts? I have some I can'ts. It's not based on your I can'ts. Neither is it based on your I can's. 
I'm so thankful that my calling is not based on my good or my bad. My calling is based on the great I am who dwells inside of us and goes with us. That's what it's about. And that's true for you. So are you weak? Are you feeble? Are you broken? Are you sinful? Good. God can use you if you let him. I think it's Oswald Chambers says, The comradeship of God is made of men who know their poverty. For God can do nothing with the person who thinks he's of any use to God. God sought you out to send you out. Are you living sent? Are you living sent? Are you sent to your neighborhood, to your Facebook friends, to your lost family? Are you sent students to your schools? Are you living sent to disciple as parents to disciple your children, as grandparents to disciple your grandchildren? Are you sent to your workplace? Are you living sent to the edges of Oconee County and to the ends of the earth? Are you living sent? See, we've been given a better message. We've got a great message. A great gospel. It has the power to break the bonds of slavery and set the captive free. The mercy to take away sin's consequences. The grace to forgive our sin and the ability to grant the gift of eternal life. It brings us to God and promises us a reward in heaven deserved by Jesus alone. We've got a message to preach. And in our day and time, Yahweh has appointed a human ministry to effect divine salvation. So as I close today, I want to just encourage you of this. Living sent is not about the distance that we travel. It is about living our lives with intentionality and purpose. Waking every day, believing that God made you for the day and the day for you. Believing that He prepared good works for you to walk in. Believing that when God thought about your life, He had a plan for you and He wants to use little old you and me to effect a divine salvation, the redemption of those who are enslaved. It's not about a distance, but intentionality. So, the two things I want you to ponder today in closing are, I want you to ponder this week how God sought you. I want you to just take some time this week to look backward good for us sometimes to look back at all of the ways that we see God at work in our life whether it was toward our salvation or after our salvation how he has led us and honed us and shaped us and refined us and brought us back to the mountain how we've grown how we've seen him at work in our lives and as you're pondering that this week if you can't see how God has sought you or saved you, you don't remember anything other than I walked an aisle and and got baptized, I want you to examine your faith to see whether or not you are in the family of God. That's not my job, that's your job. You test and examine your heart. 
But this week, I want you to ponder it. And I believe if you ponder it, God will give you an, an opportunity to share it. If you're acquainted with your story, God will give you an opportunity to share the story of Jesus in your life. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to ponder, are you living sent? Am I living sent? The parishes, I see them, they're sitting right here. Um, they're, they have one more weekend with us, and next weekend we're going to make a big deal out of them right here in this service. You guys who have supported them have done such a great job. They are 100% supported year one, 86% supported year two, 75% supported year three, and 70% supported year four. Pray, can we give God some glory for that? They're living sent. You can too, and you don't have to go to synagogue to do it. I want you to ponder how you're living sent with intentionality and purpose every day. As we close, as we close, I'm going to close us in prayer and then I'm going to give some directions, okay? But let's pray. Would you stand with me? You might need a stretch, seventh inning stretch. And if you need to come to the altar, come to the altar. If you want to make a step in joining the church, make a step in joining the church. If you need to give your heart to Jesus, give your heart to Jesus. Father God, we love you. And we ask that you would examine us, that you would test us, and you would see in us, and you would work in us, and you would help us to understand um, our story, how you sought us from a young age. You were pursuing us. You were working in our lives. You didn't leave us all alone. Even today, there are some people that you're seeking after presently, that you're going after them, that their hearts are far from you, but you're seeking them. Please continue to pursue them in your love, and please soften their heart to you. Father, and I pray that as we do that, we would glory in the thought of a God who sought me. We'd worship you. We'd find joy in our story. We'd find fresh life in our story. And Father, we'd have an opportunity to share your story in us. Father, I ask that you would help us to ponder as we wake up, as our feet hit the floor tomorrow morning, how am I living intentionally? How am I living sent on purpose for a purpose? How am I living for the day that you created for me? Father, because we want to be a church on mission to the edges of Oconee County, to the ends of the world, help us to do so. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right.